Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Stop making sense. There's a lot to be said for it, but I don't know just what. They don't tell my type the plot. Stop making sense. There's a lot to be said for it. I don't know just what. All I did was bruise a lot. Stop making sense. There's a lot to be said for it. But I don't know just what. We didn't watch a lot, but I believe David Byrne will rise again. Bum, bum. But then you hit record and you're out the door anyway. Our whole relationship is a CD skipping away. Crush on Ray. I got nothing on that. It's a spark song. It's uh, uh, Gone with the Wind. It, it popped up in my shuffle uh, yesterday, and I was all like, I like the song anyway. And I was just sort of like, oh, stop making sense. Dance with that. Mm. Well done. How was that song an outtake, man? That, that should have been on an album. Oh, for reals. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I, it's kind of funny. I don't even like remember it as an outtake, honestly. It's just such a great song. I just always like think of it on the real record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can, you can find that, not that this is kind of relevant, but you can find that on the album, uh, on the special edition of Big Beat, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Big Beat. I can check right now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I always think of it on Big Beat anyway, so. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense, because that's the one that it's on. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not here to talk about Sparks. Nope. We're here to talk about Stop Making Sense. Yep. Hence the song. Mm. <laughs> I'm guessing probably the best way to start just we talk about how we our, our experiences with the movie, I guess. Yeah, well, let's say what it is first. Oh yeah, that might be that might help. In case there are any lost souls who haven't uh, seen it. Okay. It's it is the, the the short description is it's a concert film of Talking Heads on their 1983 tour, but it's so much more than that. So much more. Directed by uh, Jonathan Demi. Who also did like uh, well, lots of stuff, but uh, Silence of the Lambs might be one of his uh, more f- or most famous films. That's not stop making sense. Mm-hmm. And he is, also oh, go on. Oh, I, I just think it's kind of interesting that I mean he's you know done some of the concert films too, but I mean it's like you know he's done a lot of narrative films as well. One thing he also directed was the music video for uh, Get You Goes to Hell by one of my favorite bands, uh, Suburban Lawns. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can throw that in the show notes if I can find it again. Yeah, because yeah, didn't he work with uh, Corman in the beginning? Uh, maybe. I think oh, I, I think so, but I think just about everybody worked with Corman. So mm-hmm. Roger Corman is wildly prolific. So yeah, and oh my goodness, where where do you start with not making sense? Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, at least for me personally. Um, my first exposure to Stop Making Sense sort of came around the time when I was just getting into being a Talking Heads fan. Like all high schoolers who are just getting into a band, you know, I got the greatest hits. Uh, it was, uh, what is it, Sand in the Vaseline compilation, which had a couple yeah. Stop Making Sense yeah. tracks on it. Um, I don't know which two, but I want to say, I know Girlfriend is Better was on there. Uh, Life During Wartime. Right, right. Making Flippy Floppies on uh, Vaseline too, isn't it? Uh, I think just the album version, if it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, Wikipedia. Okay, yeah. Yeah, life during wartime and, and girlfriend is better from uh, stop making sense. Uh, from speaking in tongues, it was oh wow, it's burning down the house, swamp band. This must be the place, right? Because stop making sense yeah. was part of the speaking in tongues tour. Yeah, which is why I got confused. Yeah, somewhere along the line, I think back in the when YouTube was just starting out, someone had put up uh, the not long around that time, I'd seen the video of uh, or either I or downloaded it from like WinMX or something of uh, girlfriend is better being performed uh, from the from the movie. I'm like so, about when did when did the DVD get re released? Mm, I want to say something yeah. like 1999, I think, because that was around around when I saw it. Was like basically like I for me it was like a kind of a similar story for you. It's like um, I had figured that I would like Talking Heads, so I I kind of and I liked you know Once in a Lifetime and Wild Wild Life because those were the two that were in kind of like heavy rotation, you know, on MTV and on on radio and stuff. And so I blind bought um, Sand the Vaseline. And at the time, it was kind of, I, I feel kind of dumb about it, but I did not like the, the first disc, really? which is the earlier stuff. And I, yeah. and I loved the second disc, which is from about Stop Making Sense on. Uh, my friend, best friend Ben um, ended up liking the entire thing, and he would borrow the first disc from me for a really long time. And then I eventually went back to it and was like, <laughs> oh, wait, no, this is awesome. Sorry. <laughs> but I, it was a, around, like, bef- a little bit before I did that, I think it was, is, like, um, I'd always heard of Stop Making Sense, of course, and, you know, the two versions on, or the two songs on Stand and Vaseline are amazing, of course. And so uh, I think I... I think Ben might have owed me some money, so I told him to go pick me up a copy of the Stop Making Sense DVD, and then we'd come over. He'd come over and we'd watch it, and basically, we was just completely fucking blown away because it stopped making sense. Yeah, and ended up like going back to the first disc and being like, "Oh my god, this is so good!" and be and that basically made me the full on Talking Heads fan that I am today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh I was at I only became familiar with Stop Making Sense a few years ago and um I was over at my dad's house and he um just kind of sat me down on the couch and said he wanted to show me uh this concert film and uh, I was like okay yeah whatever. So he's like, "Hi, I've got a DVD I want to play you." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And uh so he put it in and um I was just enthralled from like minute one like as soon as that uh as soon as the drum machine kicks in on psycho killer and uh that acoustic guitar kicked in i was like oh my god i just became obsessed with this band and uh from that from then on it was like uh you know every song i was anticipating Mm -hmm. not liking you know what i mean because it was like the first song was so good and then i was like well the second song probably won't be as good but then the second song was awesome and then I was like, well, the third song will probably not be as good. But every single song was amazing. Yes. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I completely, I felt like I had not known what music was until every after I had seen just, that film. It's, it's just this build, this build, this build. Um, I mean, it, the whole the whole film mm. is just this sort of rising. I, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to film. I'm not a film student. I don't have any... Uh, I took one course that involved film. It was American history in through film. So, in college, yeah. With, oh, cool. I mean, the professor in that class is also a noted ufologist. Yeah. 
Huh. Kind of weird. I, he actually teaches a course at Temple University about UFOs, and if I if it had been offered while I was there, I would totally would have taken that. Yeah, that could be really interesting. I mean, depending on you know how how uh, how kooky it, it would get, you know, like if it was pretty st- straightforward, it would be really interesting. If it was like, you know, basically treating like uh, what was it, Whitney Stryber's uh, communion as a real text. Definitely the Maybe latter. less so. Uh, this, just, this, is, this is a total rat hole, but he, he's, uh, he, he, his whole theory is that alien abductions are part of a government alien conspiracy to crossbreed alien-human hybrids, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so, but uh, that still would have been a cool class uh, to take. Come on. Anyway. Well, yeah, this that is true. Rat hole. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there's like a, a technical film term for what I'm describing here, but, I mean, it's... They're building the as it, the whole thing. It's just it's building and building and building. There's the you know you start at bare stage, not even the scrim in the back. You got the just David on stage, mm-hmm. and the band the band comes out one by one by one by one. Yeah, it's well. I, the thing that I like about it is that I mean, even though it's a straight up concert film, it's treated like a narrative film, and there is like at least some sort of vague narrative to it. You know, I mean. Because I know uh, David Byrne has uh, said that the, basically the idea is about like a a you know a white businessman type of guy like getting you know getting looser and funky you know and that's like kind of what the the deal is with the big suit and you know and girlfriend is better mm-hmm. is that he's yeah it's the suit's kind of being oppressive but he's kind of like fighting against it and then he takes off the the gigantic suit jacket and. Was it you who pointed out uh, to me way back when that between the first and second act of the concert that David Byrne's suit goes up a size? It wasn't me, but I didn't. But that because I didn't notice like, that. That's that awesome. On to uh, on uh, I think somewhere on live journal or somewhere back in the day. Hmm. That is really cool. I never actually noticed that because I mean it's in the second act. I mean it's still. Yeah. Yeah, a normal guy size. A, a very suit. subtle <laughs> thing. I don't know if this is actually true or not. I have to. I have to double check myself. Uh, you know, I tried rewatching it. I just. I. It didn't like pop in there. So, but yeah. If that's if that's really the case, that's that's wonderfully subtle. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah. I, there's a lot of those kind of subtle things too. You know, I mean, like the band slowly coming on stage. That even though it's not a narrative films per se. And I mean, even the, the narrative that, you know, David Byrne has is very, very loose. You know, it's, you know, it still kind of brings the viewer along with it. And, and I think that's why, like, unlike some concert films that can kind of get a little boring, you know, because I mean, you like, you don't have that energy like you do at a, at a real live show. I think it's like tricks like that that kind of bring brings the viewer along like a like a normal like a real film rather than just you know setting up some cameras and letting a band rock out. Yeah. I'm watching the concert on on mute right now and I'm trying to detect if I can see if his suit gets bigger, but we should point out that it was shot over the course of 3 nights. Mhm. Right? So when um and during the set break like Tina's uh, Tina Weymouth's outfit changes, and so it feel and David Byrne's hair gets slicked back all of a sudden. So I don't know, maybe um, making Flippy Floppy is the first song of the second set. So maybe it's an entirely different night. 
because I know Alex Weir has a different outfit on too. So I don't know if they all changed outfits um, for the second set or if it if it is you know a, a subtle difference. Yeah, that I I don't know because I mean I know that they, it was over the three nights, but I I thought they kept the same. Uh, Outfits from night to night. Yeah. So, I know, like one night was yeah. just. Um, I don't know for sure. Just the wide. They filmed like the entire show with a wide with the wide at with the wide shot. So, so right. I'm guessing with the, it was probably the same. Uh, they had the same stage costumes all three nights, and especially since there is, you know, you know the bit with the red cap, right? Where you know, near near the end of the show, David puts on that red baseball cap that someone threw up there. Uh, Apparently, in yeah. some shots, you can actually see it waiting behind the uh, the drum kit for him because it was thrown up on one night and he had to he put it on. He's like, oh, shit, now i got to wear this for the other time. So, like, right. And like, I know there's also there's a, there's a shot where, you know, from the wide angle where you see someone throw a beach ball on stage and it never comes down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there are quite a few it, continuity it, oh, errors. It can, it can totally let that slide. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like, because it is a you know a concert film, so it is sort of, you know, you you know that you're going to get continuity errors like that, and it's more a matter of hiding them, which I think Demi does very well. Yeah, I mean, except for when Tina's bass completely changes color, <laughs> song, <laughs> middle of a song. I I knew you were going to bring that one up. <laughs> well, and, the, and the other, the only one that really kills me as a bass player is during Genius, Genius of Love at the end. The audio and the the image is completely messed up because that bass line is so iconic and it repeats through the entire song and you can tell when she's not synced up with the audio, which kind of irks me a little bit, but minor, minor grievance. I do love that song, though. Yeah, me too. I don't know any other uh, Tom Tom Club songs, but I really enjoy that. I, had, I, had, I was in a, I had a big Tom Tom Club phase a while back and you know, some of their stuff is really, really good. Their first two albums, I'd say, are just incredible. And then after that, sort of, yeah. Sometimes I'll put them on, but yeah. Um, the live album they put out was really good, though. Didn't they just put out something new? Oh, did they? Or recent? I, th- time? I think so, like a, a new single or something. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to look here. Oh, Two thousand was their last studio album. Yeah. Oh, oh well, maybe, the, I don't know. Maybe I heard something. Another live album, apparently. I'm thinking of Live at the Clubhouse hmm. when I think of their live album. So, and there's the. Yeah, they did it like they re-released the first two albums. So, um, yeah, I don't know if they've done anything new since. Mm. They opened for Devo uh, about a couple years ago. <laughs> that's the last Sweet. I heard. That's the last <laughs> I heard of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I kind of get the impression that it's like even though it like they don't have like the uh, the main act of Talking Heads anymore. That I think Tom Tom Club is still kind of a side project, even. Even though I don't think they have a real project anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, now they do have a new single. It's called Downtown Rockers, apparently, and it's coming out uh, next month. There you go. Okay, now we know. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. <laughs> so should we just like go through it, like kind of chronologically, like song by song, and just kind of? Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's a lot of songs. I'm I'm just like I want to like mention it's some of my favorite performances. Maybe just we like talk about which. Which performances in there are just for us like special? I guess. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Do you want to, like take turns like go one by one? Yeah, that'll work. Yeah. For me, mine is uh, I, honestly the 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 one that just hits me the most is of course you know I'm gonna bl- let's blow my water early. This must be the place. Oh my god. Home, 
Same. That, it's, that is honestly my favorite song ever written, is This Must Be The Plays. It's so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I, I think it's like a great idea to do it as a, a love song to a lamp, as uh, David Byrne says it, you know? Yeah. Uh, have we all seen, you've all seen the, uh, the David Byrne interviewing David Byrne video, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't like the cut of your hair. <laughs> I think that didn't uh, David Byrne not, not want any spotlight or colored lights on the performers. So, which according to Wikipedia, I think that led to some unusual lighting choices, hence the, the floor lamp for that song. Yeah, which is so great, too. I mean, it's it's such a great idea anyway. It's, I don't know, it's, the, the great thing with those is that, it, that it's theatrical without being oppressive, I think. Because I think sometimes you get, like, bands that are uh, theatrical and sometimes it can be, I don't know, it can be like, oh, we're doing a play now. Like, uh, sometimes, like, because uh, I, I love the Pet Shop Boys and some of their concert films get a little much, you know? And it's just sort of like, okay, I I just kind of want to see the song at this point. I don't, I don't care about this, like, half-assed narrative that you didn't really think through, and it's, you know... Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I think that, that, you know, Talking Heads, like, uh, on Stop Making Sense, really just hit it perfectly, where there's enough to... I, I guess enough to make it visually interesting... And work as a film even, but not so much that you're just like, okay, come on, come on, you pretentious dicks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I know David Byrne wants music to believe that music should be a very visual medium. And I think Stop Making Sense does achieve that perfect balance of being completely mesmerizing without distracting from the music. Yes. The, the visuals underscore the music rather than the other way around or overwhelming. Right. Because I mean, when you look at the film visually, I mean, how much for the, especially in the first set, the, all of the visuals are pretty much the performers themselves. I mean, because the stage is so bare in the beginning and it's not like, I don't even know if they have the screens going on the, uh, in the first set at I all. Think so I don't think so. So yeah, the screen, the, I mean, all the visuals, yeah, when yeah. The, the little, the, the screen in the back that doesn't kick on until at the start of making flippy floppy, which I do, I do love, I think Stop Making Sense in a way almost spoiled me because I saw it before I ever saw like my first real rock concert. Yeah, so talk about talk about setting your expectations high. Like, oh my god, all shows. Oh, this is what a rock concert's like? No. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. But yeah, I mean, the whole like in life during wartime. I mean, the only visuals that are there are is all the dancing and you know, and David Byrne running laps around the stage. There's not any like pyrotechnics or you know video screens to distract from the music. Yeah, and even when you do get like you know the set pieces, like with uh, this must be the place. Uh, the the dancing is very much in time and in 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 spirit to the music. It's you know like it's not like really necessarily a choreographed routine, or it doesn't look it doesn't look you know choreographed. Yeah, it, it's you know it looks like you know David Byrne dancing. With the lamp, you know, it's right. Yeah, I mean, I'm watching Swamp right now, and all the only visuals are the uh, the screens are just red. Yeah, it's, it's such a it's. I mean, it's only it's not a very elaborate visual thing, but it totally alters the feel of that song. It's yeah, it's, it's so, so sinister. So sinister. yeah, it makes <laughs> it really menacing, right? 
Yeah, and I mean like the 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 little lamp that's on David on that one, and it's just like I don't know. It that swamp is such a great performance too. It's just. Yeah. I seem to remember the sort of being described as like his David Burns creepy preacher persona for that performance. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, wasn't that one of those songs that was inspired by um, radio preachers? I think so, yeah. Because, I mean, lyrically, it cl- pretty clearly is. It's it's very much like a sermon. Like a, like a, I think he kind of talks about it as a sermon about, about like the nuclear world. You know, and not, not necessarily like post-apocalyptic I don't think but just sort of I don't know like just just kind of about you know the atom and you know the stuff that that could happen with with nuclear power then and nuclear you know bombs and and stuff mm-hmm. do you guys think that there's a discrepancy between because you've got two audiences kind of you've got the audience you've got us right watching the film on a television and you've got the audience in the theater and um, I can never remember the name of the song. What comes after Swamp? Uh, what a day that was. Yeah, what a day that was. When you when you watch that on the film, it's all very. Um, it almost it's like completely different from any of the other songs because it's so all of the shots are very close uh, and uptight, and the lighting is very dark, and they're all in shadow, and there are no. I don't think there are any wide shots in that song, and I just wonder how it would look if you were. Oh, there's one wide shot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just trying to rationalize how it would seem if you were there as opposed to the advantages of, you know, because when you're watching the film on a DVD, you only see what the camera see, you know, Jonathan Demi, right? What the camera mm-hmm. sees. Well, I think that's a, that's a deliberate thing because you notice there's like no audience reaction shots until near the end. Right. Yes. Which, by the way, I think I think every concert film should do that. <laughs> that like I hate con- I hate uh, audience shots. I. I don't care about the audience. I, I'm like, I know that they're having a good time because they're fans. You hope. Yeah. I, I don't need, I don't need them to, you know, goose me along. I don't need them as like basically a laugh track. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of the, uh, the Devo Live at Lollapalooza DVD now. You, you know, what, you know what I'm talking about, right, Matt? Yeah, I mean, it's been ages since I've seen that one, but yeah, because it's kind of, eh. <laughs> I mean, the performance is great, but the, the editing, and it's, it's just way too many crowd shots. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I yeah, you just kind of end up getting, I don't know, it's like, like, for me, you know, pretty much no matter what's happening on stage, like, even if it's just the band standing there looking dumb, it's about, like, 50 times more interesting than the crowd. Yeah, we're not we're not here to see the audience. We're here to see the band. Exactly. Yeah, I can see that, especially with "Stop Making Sense." I mean, you don't need the crowd to get a sense of energy. You know, you don't need to see the people dancing until until the very end because the band itself is so energetic. Yeah, yeah, and it's just. But I mean, I think that's true. Even you know, with a lot of concert films that I've seen, where it's just sort of like, like even like you know, like with like Primus. I mean, like Les Claypool doesn't move around a lot. 
you know, like, or at least on the, on the, the, the videos that I've seen, you know, like on videoplasty and on, uh, animals should not act like people and, and the hallucinated, what was it? The hallucinogenesis tour? Hallucinogenetics. Yeah. Genetics. Thank you. I knew it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's basically Claypool standing there stoically kicking ass on the base and then occasionally he'll stomp around. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, it's not necessarily visually compelling, but it's a fair sight better than, you know, seeing fans going, Primus, yeah. Well, I think that Primus is an extremely visual, especially um, lately, but even on like on hallucinogenetics, you have those three uh, kind of floating orbs. Yeah. Weather, weather balloons in, over each of the uh, the band members. And Les is just, to me, is a completely captivating performer and just because of, you know. Uh, his skill. Yeah, his skill, number one, but. He's also a very visual uh, type guy with the the different outfits and the masks and everything, and just his whole his whole uh, persona on stage is just very captivating to me. So I've never thought of him as a as a as a kind of stoic performer because I think he uh, he can be fairly energetic and he has his trademark moves like the stomp and the the march and everything like that and the mm-hmm. the hand waving and stuff. I I uh, I read a. We should go into too much primus here, but I read an article uh, in a magazine where he was uh, described as being like the the court jester or something like that, and he has uh, you know reign over all of his subjects, and uh, that's always kind of been uh, that's always kind of stuck with me. Yeah, and I I think when I I think of see you know primus videos, I do think of videoplasty, which is but I think it's a, I think it's a festival show. And it seems that when there is, you know, visual stuff, it's more along the lines of, like, Buckethead coming out and doing, like, awesome things like the nunchucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, because, I mean, there there isn't, like, like with the hallucinogenics tour, I mean, there's, you know, like you say, the orbs and the the visual washes on stage and stuff like that that is pretty cool. Where the videoplasty performance, which I think is also on animals, um, but I'm not 100%. Yeah. Um, but it, it's basically a bare stage, and yeah. So I mean, and and it is just kind of Les Claypool kind of standing there being a badass. To what to what expect to stop being sense too. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's, I, you know, I understand. You know, sometimes you know a band can't just be actively moving around and stuff for a lot of things. You know, especially with Talking Heads, you got you know people on got like your multiple percussionists. You got your your keyboard players. And they're they're going to be kind of stuck there, uh, but I think yeah. you know when you go to a concert, it has to be a show. I think a lot of bands mm-hmm. don't quite get that. I don't like going to a show where you have just the band on stage standing there, just really literally standing there and strumming their instruments, going da 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 da. Um, yeah, you know, you got to do something to get to play up the visual part of it because we're there, we're looking at you. If the, the experience. If we clo- if I went to go to a show and I close my eyes and I get the exact same experience I would have had if my eyes were open, you you fucked up. Yeah, yeah, and I I mean I don't think that that you necessarily need you know bells and whistles like you know like in stop being sense because I mean like uh, like they might be giants. I think they do a really good live show, and until recently they never had like I think this this is the first tour where they've had like the video screen. Yeah, and but I mean even before then. You know, there's a lot of energy and, you know, like Flansburg especially is very good at, like, at interacting with the crowd and 
so even if there isn't necessarily a lot going on necessarily visually, like in terms of, you know, video or set pieces or, or whatnot, there, there, it's, you know, it's definitely something where you do gain something by by physically going to the show. And I, I think that's, you know, I mean, like, if, if there's any bands listening, you don't necessarily need to, you know, go go the Talking Heads or Residents route. You know, it's like, just do do things on stage, even if it's just just the band, mm-hmm. you know, it's you can still make that visually interesting. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And... And, you know, you get that in the first half of the show. You get that in the first seven songs on Stop Making Sense, where it really is just a watch on stage. You do exactly. You do get the you know, the the crew putting together the uh, putting the pushing the instruments out, but that's kind of you know, secondary because you're not meant to be paying attention to them. That's why they're all dressed in black. Right. It's it's hard not to. But, yeah, but at the same time, oh. yeah. And I was going to say that comes from uh, Japanese theater, by the way. Hmm. No theater. Uh, I believe no, yeah. If if not no, it's another another flavor of Japanese theater, but I think it's no. So you don't have a favorite Yeah, even though the... Oh, uh, I was going to make a bad joke, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> are you sure? You can still make it. Even though the um, the crew members are dressed in black, there's also, in the film, there's not really an, a huge effort to hide them. Like, one of my favorite shots, especially early on, is in Psycho Killer... Um, I think it's during one of the choruses, but it starts uh, with a close-up on David Byrne. But as it pans back, as it pulls away from him, you see the crew members on the side of the stage just watching the performance. And I just think that's a fascinating shot. Yeah. Oh, I never noticed that. Because they're they're there, and it's, it's almost like a behind-the-scenes sort of thing. Like, there's no... Like, even though they're clearly in the shot, and, like, the... Because the background is all black... And you have David there, but then you have these like three or four faces, you know, over his right shoulder. Um, it's just fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, I think by dressing them in 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 black and everything like that, it's sort of it almost gives you sort of a I'm not supposed to be seeing this kind of thing, even though I clearly am. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. Um... It kind of makes me laugh, like when the first time I uh, watched it, like they kept wheeling out more and more equipment every time and it's almost um funny yeah how the band keeps just growing and growing and growing until there's you know however many people there are at the end nine yeah i think so. i think yeah. um yeah well you got the you got the core quartet you got you know david chris jerry and tina and yeah yeah nine pe- nine yeah nine, nine people yeah mm-hmm. um yeah that that's that's a huge band yes i mean it's it's not polyphonic spray yeah. territory but uh <laughs> uh-huh. huh. I saw it more. It's gonna say, but they're a lot better than polyphonic speech. Yeah, so that's true. <laughs> I think the the backup, quote unquote, backup musicians totally make the the concert in a lot of ways, just because they're so. Um, a lot of them have have funk backgrounds. Like Alex Weir is a member of the Brothers Johnson, and Bernie Worrell was in Parliament Funkadelic, and I think they're just a huge part of the sound. Uh, in this era of Talking Heads, definitely, and I mean that's that's part of the thing too. Is I mean like they were such great, amazing music- musicians, and there is a a like you get that the, the they really dig it too. It's like yeah, yeah. no one's I just mean, there like, to you know, pick watch up a like, check. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you watch like you know Stephen Scales or 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 Bernie or Alex, and they're having fun. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I am curious. I, I know I do prefer um, Adrian Ballou, uh to Steve, to uh, Alex Weir. Just I like really I really do like the way Adrian Ballou plays. And if you've ever heard the second disc of um, the name of this band is Talking Heads, that's him on the uh, additional guitar. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. And I just think if I if I had to recast the film, that's that's the only thing thing I change. But that, that I'm just I'm a sucker for Adrian Ballou. <laughs> yeah, he's great. But I think Alex Weir does a great job oh, too in no, terms of energy and contributing. <clears throat> yeah, no argument here. You can kick really high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Bernie in particular really makes this film. Oh yeah, me. and I had only heard about him through his collaborations with Government Mule and uh, Colonel Claypool's Bucket of Bernie Brains, and uh, it was I was uh, fascinated to see him. You know, however, twenty twenty years earlier or something. Uh, in this, but his his riffs and his fills and everything just completely sort of make a lot of the songs for me. Yeah, and especially during that making flippy floppy when he inserts the uh, right at the end, uh, like in the last verse when he inserts all those funky noises and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just yeah I mean Bernie like I think of 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 the expanded heads Bernie is my favorite. Yeah. I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for the keyboard a, uh, player. What can I say? So I'm I'm I'm, I'm with you, Matt. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's I don't just, even I don't even think about it as keyboards. It's all like synthesizer and very yeah. uh, Prof, funky fives and uh, emulators. Yeah. yeah, I watched a uh, on Netflix. There's a documentary about Bernie Worrell called Stranger Bernie Worrell on Earth. I don't know if you guys have seen no. that, but it's pretty good. No. It offers. Uh, it's not the the most well-made documentary, but it has some interviews with um, David Byrne and Tina and uh, it kind of, he's very enigmatic, I guess, in the, uh, in the music world. Cause he's kind of, he is kind of like this alien sort of musical prodigy. Huh? Hmm. Yeah. I have a link to the, uh, to the documentary in the show notes. Okay. So I'm going to pick another song. <laughs> Heaven is one of my favorite songs too, from uh, talking heads. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I mean the, the idea of, just uh, David and Tina. To get to the bar. Name of the bar. The bar is called Heaven. The band in Heaven. They play my favorite song. Play it one more time is just amazing that it's so so stripped down but it's so it's just perfect honestly i mean it really is mm-hmm. yeah i mean it really is only the only slow song really on the on the album or what i think of as a slow song um but it's still just as captivating as you know as anything else yeah, yeah it's just and i mean it's just with the the you know the the solo bass and you know, it just, oh, God, it's just amazing. I, and it's such a gorgeous song anyway, too. I mean, I, it's like the, I remember actually, like, when I did my capstone in college, I uh, I quoted it, and it was kind of funny because a lot of people didn't seem to get it and couldn't figure out why I was repeating words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was very confused at first because I couldn't tell if it was Tina singing or if the vocals were coming from off stage because I didn't... Uh, yeah, I don't. I didn't know anything about the film at the time. 
Yeah, it's an interesting choice to have. Yeah. Who's is it? Lynn Mabry who's doing the bow. The, the, yeah, yeah. Yep. Having her do it yeah. off stage. Um, it's it's very it's yeah. It's kind of a weird cheat. It's very haunting. You have this person yeah. you can't see singing a song about about heaven. It's sort of otherworldly. You know, the vo- voice from a voice from the angels from above or something like that. And mm, that's very interesting. Yeah, it's it's a it's a stylistic. Cho- it's I wouldn't call it a cheat. I just think it's just it's interesting stylistic choice. Um, I can't imagine hearing that performance without Lynn Mabry's vocals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just I can't picture it happening. Uh, if someone gave me the multi tracks and I could turn that down, I, I just don't think it would be the same. It would be well, no, it obviously wouldn't be the same, but I don't think it would work. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it would be interesting to learn whether. If they if the decision was motivated purely out of you know we just want the core quartet first David then David and Tina then uh, you know David and Chris and so on or if they really probably David if they really did want to make the decision to have the the offstage background vocals to sort of symbolize that that heaven motif it could, it it could mm-hmm. honestly be both yeah and it's also kind of interesting. Uh, when they for uh, just because they're originally a trio, have you know you get a very brief just the three of a uh, three of them no uh, no uh, Jerry uh, for to thank you for sending me an angel and have any of you ever heard mm-hmm. their uh, CBS the demos they did for CBS in like 1975 just as a trio? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that it's a very very different sound. Mm-hmm. But I do I I like it. Too. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean it. I, I think I I think adding Jerry was definitely the right move, but it's. Like the the the, the three piece Talking Heads is still really cool. Yeah, uh, Andrew, have you ever heard those demos? Or I have not. I'll, I'll hook you up. But uh, yeah, there's these really early versions of of stuff. Well, actually, no, you have you've heard at least two of them because Sugar on My Tongue and I Want to Live are on uh, Sand in the Vaseline. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah, th- those are from the trio. So, but there's a few more um, really interesting early versions of. Uh, uh, Psycho Killer, and um, I'm like almost everything off the first two records is on here almost, um, or at least everything off the first record. Yeah, yeah. Book I read, uh, like uh, Thank You for Sending Me an Angel is on there, even though that's on uh, more songs. Um, Warning Sign, which is such a great creepy song. Yeah, that's one of the few that I think the uh, the album the the, the quartet version is better than the demo. Hmm. I mean, they're, they're, it's like I said, it's one of the few. At the at the at, at worst, everything else is just equal to the uh, to, to the final version. But yeah, warning yeah. sign just kind of like the, that. The, uh, the 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 trio version just kind of leaves me a little cold on that one for warning sign. Yeah, yeah, that is true. But it's such a great song anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. I mean, like with the you know your glassy eyes and your open mouth. <laughs> warning sign. Warning sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God, that's such a great song. It's like, and that's the thing. It's like Talking Heads really did sinister. Honestly, I mean, you have like Psycho Killer, of course, and you have Warning Sign. But honestly, that sinister wasn't really one of the things that they really went to a lot. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Well, the most sinister they got was uh, uh, Remain in Light. Uh, songs like you know the Overload and uh, Listening Wind. Yeah. Uh, you know, Listening Wind. It's about a terrorist. Yeah, you know, setting off bombs in the marketplace, and that—that's—that's—that's that's, yeah. that, I mean, that's pretty fucking creepy. 
Yeah, but I mean, I think I think if you look at their their whole output, though, I mean, those are a a a, a minority of the songs, even though they were so good at it okay. too, which is interesting. I mean, like like I mean, like it, it's kind of funny, like because when I think of Talking Heads, I think more less of you know the the sinister kind of songs and more songs like you know Don't Worry About the Government, which is actually pretty bouncy and happy and it's actually you know more like don't worry about the government it's all everything's awesome you know <laughs> and or um or even like um nothing but flowers which is about like basically the collapse of society but from a point of view that says society was actually pretty awesome yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's a- which is you don't get that a lot i mean usually it's like Man, everything would be better if it was just you know flowers everywhere, and and you wouldn't have a Pizza Hut like blocking up the sky or you know or whatever. And then you have like no, this society is actually you know it has its problems, but it's a lot easier than having to forage for nuts and berries. And every time I listen to that song, I just have this image in my head of some of a post-apocalyptic hippie commune society and the singer being like this guy in a tattered business suit clutching a cell phone trying to get a signal and freaking out yeah although i have to admit like you know i i would probably be along with the 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 guy in the business suit i i think i i i i like technology and i i i like stuff like that and i'd probably would wish i'd had a lawnmower partly because i have like horrible allergies with Everything, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we're if we're gonna go back to nature, can I at least keep my Zyrtec? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you want me to be uh, a functional member of this society, I need to be able to breathe. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, thank you for sending me an angel. One of my favorite aspects of this film is Tina's dance moves. You know, as a bass player who, I guess, she joined the band at her boyfriend's request, right? Chris Franz's request. And sort of learned it on the spot, right? Yeah, yeah. David actually taught her bass. Right. And when you think about that, I mean, that's amazing because her bass lines are so perfect. Good. Yeah. Good, yeah. And so uh, amazing. And her, um, they're just, they're, they're syncopated and funky and minimalist all at the same time and uh i just think she's a phenomenal bass player and it's amazing that she uh sort of picked it up on a whim uh kind of but her uh, i love her dance moves her moonwalking and her her shaking her hips and everything i just think she's adorable <laughs> yeah. yeah especially during that, that is of love. Point too. oh yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but i mean that is a good point is i mean like basically if if you had never heard of talking heads you know and you were told that the bassist basically picked it up like that i'm pretty sure you would basically expect like the bass equivalent of like meg white you know yeah and instead of you know one of the best bassists in rock honestly mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and not over, nothing overly complicated, just perfectly complementing the song every time. Exactly, yeah. It's not the, it's not the pyrotechnics of, uh, of Victor Wooten, but it's, it's exactly what the song needs when it needs it. And that's, when you're a rhythm musician, I think that's really the, that, that, that's, that's the highest praise you can get. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you agreed with me because I was worried I was going to upset the bass play- upset you by saying that it's you're a bass player. <laughs> no, it's uh, bass is a supportive role and it takes a lot of skill to make bass a lead instrument and do it well. And um, there's obviously no shame in playing quote unquote normal bass. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a song you want to pick out just for yourself, Andrew? Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's so there's everything is so I good. Know, I know. Um, I really like, uh, there's one shot in particular in, that's one of my favorite points in the whole film during life, during wartime, uh, when they all start jogging, mm-hmm. uh, cause you know, Bernie starts on the synth and then the drums kick in and then, uh, right after they all start jogging, there's this one wide shot of the whole front line, uh, just jogging in place. That's one of my favorite moments uh, of the whole film. Let's see. I, I really love slippery people. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, it's just so infectious. And um, there's a, a shot that I love in that song too, right? Uh, David's first guitar riff because he's got—I don't know what kind of guitar it is—but he's got that beautiful brown uh, wood tone guitar. And um, that, that that guitar see, riff what, is really great. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what because there's definitely some effects on there, and I'm just wondering what what he's using. Uh, even though I don't play guitar, I, I'm a sucker for effects. And I'm just curious and knowing how you get such interesting sounds out of the out of an instrument like that. Mm. Yeah. So you know, there's, there's you know, there's definitely something going on with the sound that's warping it in that kind of way. Yeah, yeah. I'll put a link to that performance in the show notes because I found a pretty good YouTube video yeah. of it. Um, Making Flippy Floppy is another one of my favorites, uh, and I hadn't. I didn't know. Um, the way I heard about this song first was Humphreys McGee does a mean cover of it. And um, it's actually on that cover album that I've mentioned a few times. And uh, I love that version. So I was excited to see the original. And the original, obviously, is just as great as Humphreys' cover is. Uh, it's so amazing. And the ba- again, the bass line is just an iconic one in that song. Stop making sense versions of the songs from uh, speaking in tongues to the album versions. I, I do yeah. too. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, I, I, that's what I was actually going to ask: is like, are there any songs on Stop Making Sense that are not the canon- canonical version? Like, I think for me, maybe Once in a Lifetime. I think I like the album version of that one a little bit better. But 
it's so close, and I think that's about the only one that I can think of. Yeah, um, the uh, burning burning down the house. I actually, do generally prefer the album version. That's just me. Uh, it's, again, that's very mm-hmm. close. I do prefer the album version of Once in a Lifetime to the the live version. But I'll, I certainly won't take. I'm not. If you know, someone plays either version, I'm not going to complain. Oh, you're playing the wrong. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think my canonical cross-eyed I, and painless though is off uh, the name of this band. Hmm. I think that the uh, the the stop making sense version of Take Me to the River is so much more high energy than the the uh, the laid back album version. But at the same time, I really enjoy. I like the album version too because it's kind of different because it's much more slower tempo. I don't know if I'd call the album version laid back. It's very tense. It, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, there's something. It's 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 a thing with the early Talking Heads that there's just so much nervous energy in there. Even on the mm-hmm. happy, bouncy, upbeat songs, just have this sense that, you know, this is a man, you know, David Byrne as a singer, as a performer on these records is ready to bolt out of the recording studio at any second and have a have a panic attack. Oh, by the way, I, I ended up looking it up, uh, the guitar, by the way. Okay. <laughs> and it looks like it's a guild, uh, most likely a, uh, see, S100 or S90. Ah. So there we go. <laughs> Sorry, I, it was just one of those ones that was like kind of, you know, wondering at, out, and it was sort of like, well, what is that? And I'm like looking at the picture, and I can't tell, and it's sort of like, I ended up just looking it up, and there's some like, uh, I'll throw this in the show notes. It's a Guitar Geek forum, and they're like, someone asked that very question of, you know, what's that guitar there? Not the strap, but the the natural finish one, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and there you go. I think I read in an interview that. David, uh, I think Tina said that David Byrne, at first, they didn't realize uh, that he had a very nice baritone uh, vocal. And I think that in the beginning, he he was, like, not aware of his – because he has a very distinct voice, especially in Stop Making Sense. Like, that's kind of one of the things that jumped out at me on my first viewing of it is his vocal style is very unique. And uh, I want to say that in the beginning, like, in the first – and I'm not as familiar as – with the studio records as I am with Stop Making Sense. Mm-hmm. But I want to say that in the beginning of the Talking Heads career, Rich, kind of like you were saying with that nervousness, um, that he hadn't really found his his voice yet. And mm-hmm. I think that by the time Stop Making Sense comes around, he's clearly a, the master of his craft. And I think, uh, yeah, because that- I'll even say he's gotten more, better since Stop Making Sense with his vocal style, uh, if you've heard his newer mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but you're absolutely right, especially since you know you haven't heard the, the demos from '75, the CBS demos. So I'm definitely gonna have to play right. it for you because it's it's very plaintive the way he sings on those. Like, I wish you would say that. Yeah, it, it, he doesn't. He's really he's singing more at the top of his register, and it's mm-hmm. yeah. And that actually back how I mentioned that back in high school when I was dumb and didn't like the first disc of Sand, mm-hmm. that was what was turning me off was the high vocal. And because like that's basically about the the disc break is or the, the between the two break the two discs is high vocal David Byrne and baritone David Byrne. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. That really kind of starts kicking in around Fear of Music. I think the uh, the actual him using his proper voice because you know if you listen to uh, uh, I'm just looking, you know Memories Can't Wait is him almost there. Yeah, yeah. So I mean he. 
Yeah, and that was one of the the handful of songs from the first disc that I did like. You know, it's like basically the the back end of the first disc I would kind of like, but not enough to necessarily, you know, sit through. <laughs> and again, this is back when I was like 15 or 16. So I think I had like, you know, a, a license to be dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually kind of interesting because that you didn't like the first disc when you were a teenager. When I was a teenager, I generally didn't like much of the second disc. Uh, ah. Yeah, I would basically just go, I'd listen to Life During Wartime through uh, uh, Road to Nowhere. Uh, well, uh, no, I'd, while, while, I'd skip Stay Up Late, but I'd listen to the first uh, six tracks. Then I, I had no interest in anything off of uh, Naked Until Nothing But Flowers. Mm-hmm. And I do like the uh, the, the popsicle outtake at the end of d- disc two, but actually, actually, Lifetime Piling Up is very good too, but I'd usually, I, I, I would like only listen to like half of disc two. Yeah. 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 For me, I, I, I love disc two. I would listen to that thing all the way through, even though I think honestly with like naked, there isn't a lot on there that I do really, really like aside from the tracks on, um, on sand. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Blind Mr. Jones and nothing but flowers are amazing off of naked. Everything else. Meh. Yeah. I, I pretty much agree. Like I, let me bring up Naked because I haven't listened to that in ages. I don't know if there's anything. The the, the re-release had sax and violins on it, which is. <laughs> well, yeah, but that doesn't count. That's no. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Looking at at this, I basically the the three that I like are the three that are on on sand. I mean, the rest of them, I kind of just go, huh? Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're not bad by any means because they're, you know, they're talking heads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but when you compare them to, you know, those songs, it's just sort of like, yeah, it, it, there's, there is no comparison. Yeah, it's a shame that's kind of the, that's their last album. That's you know, not, not the best one to go out on. But. Yeah, yeah. But at least, you know, they're sax and violins. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, if you want to take that as like the, the final talking heads uh, track, then, you know, then they did go in on the high note. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, wasn't that the one that was, like, for, like, some soundtrack or, or something? Yeah. Like, uh, Avengers, I yeah, think? Yeah, Until the End of the World. Yeah, Which I've never and seen. it was, like, the idea... Either have I, but I, I've, I have a friend at work who just adores Vim Vendors, which is kind of funny, because she's not normally really a film, a film person, but she just loves that, you know, and, um, but, uh, I remember, like, isn't the thing, like, where... Like their their idea was to write a song that would be like a Talking Heads song in two thousand, and then they realized that they would just probably sound like Talking Heads. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, <laughs> it's in the liner notes to, to "Sand in the Vaseline," which yeah, my CDs are are not are right over there. I just I'm I'm kind of tethered with my headphones right now. Yeah, I know but we're yeah, talking about it's not and making and sense, I, but can I complete? Can I just say one more thing about uh, "Sand in the Vaseline"? Hmm. Sure. Whose idea was it to put a two disc set? Uh, to put these in two separate jewel cases. <laughs> that was kind of common like back back in the day honestly it's like really weird like i've even seen some copies of the white album by the, you know the beatles white album where they're in two separate jewel cases instead of the you know I, i'm glad that we kind of went from you know two separate jewel cases to the really fat cd case to the slim line where it just holds out because that makes so much more sense yeah yeah and like yeah, I even have a Dr. Demento uh, CD compilation that's that's that way with the two discs or two individual jewel cases. It's it's the only two disc set I have that's like that. <laughs> it just makes it weird yeah. to put it on the shelf because yeah, whatever. 
Yeah. Well, if you're a dumbin in high school like me, it, it does make it easy to loan your best friend the disc you don't like. <laughs> Except for the, the fact that the first disc doesn't has the liner notes, but not the track listing on the back. <laughs> yeah, that that's mind blowing. Okay. Great, great, yeah. great design decision, people. Yeah. Oh, but the liner notes are great, especially in, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's too bad, though. I mean, you'd think that a bunch of RISD nerds would, you know, know not to, you know, do that kind of thing with the des- the package design, but. <laughs> Did they ever graduate from uh, the Rhode Island School of Design? Uh, I'm, I think so. I think David did, at okay. least, I, th- I think. Let's see. And... Yeah, I think I thought that they all all basically did, but if not, they probably you know you know all but. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like when when you become a uh, successful, they, they they became pretty sick once they got once they started playing music. It took like a cup. They were fairly. They were already they already had a recording contract by seventy seven. They'd only been been a band like for two two three years at that point. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He dropped. No, he dropped out. Oh, he did drop out of RISD. Okay. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> okay. Now we know. <laughs> um, my goodness. Um, what do you, what do you, what do you folks think of the uh, the songs they cut? I mean, I really wish they hadn't cut Big Business and e- and Ezimbra. Yeah. Are Are you talking about the the ones that are uh, on the bonuses or the the ones that like were they would do on that tour? Uh, no. The, yeah, the bonuses because I, I can't really comment on the oh, okay. ones that they did from the tour that aren't recorded because you know they're not there. Uh, I I do love Big Blue Plymouth though. You don't have the uh, Saratoga bootleg? No, I don't. Oh, I, I will I will help you out with that one. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, that's it's cool. I mean, because it's that same thing. They have like songs like Love Goes to Building on Fire, which I is one of those ones like I can't believe that was never on an album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wasn't that a B-side? Oh. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like, yeah, it, wasn't, it was like the B-side to Psycho Killer or something. I think something like that. I think that sounds right. Yeah. And it's just an amazing song. And it's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I know they did uh, Big Blue Plymouth on the tour, and I I have a there's a recording of uh, Big Blue Plymouth from uh, I think that same not like I think it was like yeah I think it was '83 not like before they did the Stop Making Sense show. There's like this BBC mm-hmm. documentary on Talking Heads, and there's a version of uh, Big Blue Plymouth from that. That same documentary has this really wild version of Psycho Killer. It's uh, the way they do it. It's, it's it's the full band playing Psycho Killer to start the show. But the documentary keeps cutting back to different versions of Psycho Killer with different setups of the band. So, like, one verse will be the full band, or then, like, uh, or, yeah, they'll have a couple lines and, and bars from the first band, from the, from the current, from the full, from the full nine piece, then a quartet performance from TV, and then this black and white video of them, I'm assuming at CBGB's, as a trio. Oh. Have you not seen this? I, uh, which is this one again? Is this the chronology set? No, it's um this BBC documentary of some sort. Uh, no, Love Love Goes oh. to Building on Fire, by the way, was a uh, no a non album single, it wasn't even a B side. So let me see if I can let me oh, see if okay. I can find this. Uh, uh, it's it's by the way, I'm throwing a link to the Saratoga bootleg in the show notes. That's why I was a little bit out of it. Okay, <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to see if I can find the which particular video this is. It'll be in the show notes at the very least. Uh. Uh, um, yeah, it might, I don't know if it's, chrono- I didn't even know, 
there was something called the talking this talking heads chronology dvd uh yeah it just came out maybe a year ago um on i think it's on eagle uh the record uh the eagle vision and it's um a lot of um uh like uh just live performances from tv mostly and then there's uh in the bonuses there's actually this like uh, a BBC documentary from about, I think it's from about Fear of Music uh, era, and it's kind of sort of like that, like kind of like what you're talking about, but it's like, it's a little different too, and I, I can't remember if it's got any of this CBGB footage in there or not, and I think there might be a little bit of CBGB on um, the chronology set. Yeah, because I, I just saw, just did a search on YouTube for Psycho Killer, and the first hit is... Uh... The uh, 1975 show uh, pr- recording of Psycho Killer, which I'm assuming is at CBGB's. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll find it, but it's it's really an interesting thing, just the way they keep switching between the different versions. Uh, hopefully, it's still yeah. on. Hopefully, yeah. it's still up on YouTube. You never know these days. Oh, whoa, oh shit! I'm, I was looking yeah. right at it. There it is. Yeah, <laughs> from 1982 is is the documentary I'm talking about. I'm actually just gonna drop that right into the mm. robot here. Cool. And I'm going to throw in a uh, link to the uh, chronology set uh, in the show notes uh, through Amazon. Because, um, yeah, the, the uh, I'll throw in the deluxe version just because that's – like I think it's the DVD is the same, but it comes with a uh, big book of photographs and then a, a Lester Bangs essay, which, to be honest, I wasn't that into the essay. I Like I, I tend to think – uh, Bangs is a little overrated as a writer, but what you gonna mm-hmm. do? No, no argument here. Yeah, um, and I and I guess it's partly you know partly when you have like someone who is like uh, you know idiosyncratic like that, mm-hmm. it you know you you are gonna get um, you know a lot of differing opinions. I mean, I know like uh, Hunter S. Thompson is kind of the same way, even though the people who don't like him are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I only just recently finally read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah, sure. I'm just, not sure if that really is the best place to start with Hunter S. Thompson, but it was a very, very interesting, very fun read. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's there's a lot of really great stuff by him. Like, uh, and it depends on you know how into politics you are too, because like, uh, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail '72 is pretty interesting mm-hmm. too. So how does Stop Making Sense compare to the name of this band as Talking Heads? As an album? Yeah, well, I haven't heard, um, I haven't listened to the name of this band as Talking Heads too many times compared to the hundreds of times I've listened to Stop Making Sense. So in your guys' eyes, probably being more qualified to compare the two. What do you think? You can't compare them. Yeah. Because it's three They're... very different bands. Yeah. It's, it's all Talking Heads, uh... but, it's all, but it's three very different Talking Heads. Yeah, because you have, like, on the first disc of Name, uh, it's basically just the four of them. Second disc is the very beginning of the expanded heads. And then you have, you know, uh, Stop Making Sense, which is, like, the peak of expanded heads. And, Mm -hmm. like, they're all very, very good. And, I mean, like, I cannot recommend uh, naming this band enough. But to compare them all is very, very difficult. I mean, it's... They're all really, really good in different ways, and you know, and that, even between like the two discs of um, of name of this band, mm-hmm. it's like they're all amazing documents of 
different things, I guess. All you need to do is gotcha. just listen to the three different versions, the two different versions of Psycho Killer on Name, the expanded version of Name. Yeah. And that tells you everything you need to know right there because it's you know the the, the first disc version of Psycho Killer. It's you know it's it's just the four piece. It's the wash. Um, it may as well be it, it, except for that thir- extra verse. It might as well be the album ver- album recording uh, in terms of content. And set, mm-hmm. suddenly you get this uh, right off the start sort of disc two of Name of the Band is this expanded version of Psycho Killer with the full. Nine pe- well, were they nine piece at that point? Uh, I don't think they were quite, but I could be I could be misremembering. I, I want to say like seven. Yeah. And it, with Adrian Blues like scorching guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Have have have, have I have I flattered Adrian Blue enough in the show yet or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he also played with Laurie Anderson on uh, her concert film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I I was seeing a couple of videos of of that, and it was like you know like a. Uh, languages of virus and stuff, and yeah, it's like, oh, Adrian, yeah. yeah I mean, he because he was also part of Zappa's bands for a while yeah. too. Which is, you know, Zappa knows Zappa was a man of taste. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, and didn't he actually briefly join like King Crimson for a while too, or am I misremembering? He basically, that? I think he did. He basically, yeah. was King Crimson in the eighties. Ah, yeah, it's like. Like he and like a couple of original members of King Crimson, I think they like just they brought the name back to get they brought they, they they started the band over with that name in the in mm. the uh, in the uh, early 80s you know I, i'm not a king crimson fan i'm not a king crimson hater either just they're there <laughs> yeah that's kind of how i am with them it's like they seem pretty cool but it's not quite my thing but then again i've never really sat down with them either so yeah because yeah yeah i have oh, a- sorry go on that's okay i have a couple of uh king crimson albums and one of them is discipline and um, I love that record. I might have to take that as a pick in a future show. Okay. Um, yeah, it's uh, – yeah, from my understanding – I'm looking at the Wikipedia article just to sort of refresh my memory. But, yeah, it was uh, uh, Robert Fripp and uh, Adrian Ballou that basically uh, – they they, did, they started to call themselves something else apparently. And then they said, no, it's great. We're King Crimson. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that was like basically Fripp's band, wasn't it, anyway? Yeah. So, but yeah, so it was Adrian Ballou and Robert Fripp basically in the early 80s. And I read recently somewhere where Adrian Ballou, well, I know he he played on the first Tom Tom Club album and did a lot of soloing that the uh, producer cut out, which is kind of a dick move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks like he he does have a co-write credit on uh, Genius of Love mm-hmm. too. There we go. So, what are you going to do when you get out of jail? Have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 kind of things do you consider fun? That oh, natural <laughs> fun. <laughs> Can't, can't keep doing, can't do that with a straight face. <laughs> I know. James Brown, James Brown, <laughs> still is the Godfather of Soul, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that that joke that I heard. Um, I don't remember if it was like from Ben or if it, like if Ben made it up or if he just found it on like online and and would always repeat it. Where it was like, you know. You know, when you have like uh, Chris going, James Brown, James Brown, he still is the Godfather of Soul, y'all. And like someone is like, yeah, if James Brown were here, he'd be the Godfather of telling the drummer to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, I never loved that. Was, uh, whatever you call it from him, it's it's kind of fun. <laughs> Apparently, I think I read somewhere in the original cut of the film, but he said. Uh, there's a he he's got a whole different line uh, later on in that song that they 
replaced or dubbed or something. Yeah, the cocaine reference? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I've never seen the original theatrical cut because I've only seen the DVD version. I know they did some changes for that. Um, the original version I've saw, I saw of uh, Girlfriend is Better from, top, from Stop Making Sense. You know, there's, the, there's this bit where David stares right into the camera. And the original mm-hmm. cut, uh, the original version I saw of that performance, there's, even though he's, he, you hear him go, ha, 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 except that, you know, he's not speaking into the microphone. Mm-hmm. So I'm, they took that out for the DVD, but it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's like I've seen it in the theater, but I think that was the DVD cut. I think it was like a new print struck from the the DVD mask. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was it was awesome seeing it in the theater. And actually one of the things that I I the one of the stories that I always thought was really interesting is um one of my uh friends from work, uh Danny Wright, who's like an awesome DJ and and, and jock. Um he actually uh, mentioned to me that, like, when he saw um, Stop Making Sense in theaters back in, you know, what, 1982, 1983? Four. Four? Yeah. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight. I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> 1984, like, he was, it was so good and so beautiful. He was literally moved to tears. And I can see that. Yeah, I mean, it I is that. an amazing film and a, just amazing performance and amazing music. So. Yeah, my God. Uh, what else can we say? Go, go see it. Go buy it. You know, don't don't rent it. Buy it. Buy it. You'll want yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. I bought the Blu-ray immediately after seeing it. Is there anything different about the Blu-ray? Because I just have the DVD so far. Well, the I was going to ask you guys about this. Um, on the Blu-ray, there's a couple different audio selections. There's the feature film 5.1 mix. There's a studio mix in 5.1, and there's also a stereo mix. So I didn't know if you guys had heard any of the different... The different mixes. Uh, yeah, th- those are on the DVD too. Oh, okay. And to be honest, like I honestly don't really hear a whole heck of a lot. I mean, it's like if you AB them, you do, but I mean, I don't think there's any necessarily good mix or, or you know, like the good one. I think mm. they're all they're all equally good, and I don't think there's like for me, they didn't really like strike me as like particularly different, I guess, or in yeah. a in a like. Oh my God! This makes things so much clearer, or anything like that kind of way. Yeah. Um, does the DVD have commentary? Yes. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've listened. To and that. it also it's kind of interesting, but it's like they they were all recorded separately because like, well, they kind of hate each other and all now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but honestly, like there there isn't very much um in the commentary that you wouldn't get from just uh. You know, reading about it or reading interviews and stuff. Mm-hmm. There is the on the DVD. I seen. I remember the. Um, I guess I don't know where I put my DVD. I was watching a rip I made. Um, uh, there's mm-hmm. the a way to watch the film where you watch. We could also see the storyboards, which is really interesting. Oh yeah, I don't know if I ever actually sat down with that one or not. I think I. I don't think I watched the, the whole thing. I just I know I watched like bits and pieces of it with the storyboard. Yeah, and yeah, it's. The fact that they storyboarded it is pretty amazing, too, honestly. I mean, just, you know, because, you know, it's not something that you would normally do for a, a concert film. Yeah. Like, like I said, this is why I think it spoiled me in, in a way for concerts, because it, it's uh, the expectation is too high. It's more theater than rock concert, in a sense. Yeah. It's, yeah, but, but yeah, it's like one where I've just been, you know, kind of curious, about, you know, whether or not it's worth it to upgrade the Blu-ray to, to the Blu-ray or not. I mean, aside from the fact that it is stop making sense, and stop making sense is always worth it. Well, but, I don't have a, I don't have a Blu-ray I mean, player, so it doesn't do me any good. 
Like, yeah, I, I'd say, yeah, if I, you have a Blu-ray player, I mean, I think just for the, uh, you know, high definition, quote unquote, alone, mm-hmm. I mean, it's worth having. Yeah. It's worth having multiple copies of Stop Making Sense. Yeah. <laughs> I do have it on, let's see, vinyl, CD. I don't have it on VHS, but I do have it on, on DVD. So you at least have, you know, three or yeah, three different different versions. So I might as well make it four, I suppose. <laughs> might as well. Yeah. I mean the only the only reason I have the VHS is so you can watch Big Business and E Zimbra and Cities actually put into the film. Mm, yeah. But yeah, where was I don't know I was supposed to talk about wasn't I was talking about Big Business and E Zimbra? I like those I wish they hadn't cut that out because that is a really I know those two songs are really awesome, especially E Zimbra. Yeah. And it's so cool to see it see it live mm-hmm. too. I mean it's yeah. Never mind. Have, any, have either of you seen the uh, the video of the uh, Talking Heads in Rome from nineteen eighty? Maybe uh, yes, I think I have. I don't think I've I've seen all of that. I think there's like a little bit of that on chronology. I think, but I, I I think I've I've seen a little bit, but I've never actually sat down and watched the entire entire show. Yeah, it's it's all on YouTube. Uh, the the version of the Great Curve on there is just intense. Um, yeah, the, the, yeah, the whole show you can either watch it in bits and pieces, or someone did upload the whole thing. So. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's a band with so many different faces, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of funny, because honestly, like, you know, the more I thought about this show, like, the more I was honestly, I, I don't know if I necessarily say dreading it, not because of talking about so many sense, but I was, like, worried that we wouldn't have enough to actually talk about, even though we always talked about, oh, we'll be able to fill up an entire show. I wasn't necessarily sure that we would be able to, and right now in the record, it's, like, hundred or uh, one hour and 23 minutes. And 24 yeah. seconds. <laughs> and so, so I mean, I don't know what that'll end up being when we, when uh, Rich edits it, but that's, that's a full show. So I was like, I was wrong. And it is just that good. Even when you think that you might not be able to have enough to talk about, about like one entire, one, one singular film. That's how good it is, is that you can go on for just about as long of, as the film itself <laughs> talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an 88 minute film. We're officially... We're we're doing uh, the, the John Syracuse are talking about uh, the Godfather. We're, we are, we're it's longer than the film, almost. <laughs> no, no, that, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's yeah, it's an hour and twenty eight minutes. Up. Yeah, so we're we're short. Do we want to pat this out some? Yeah, we're still a little <laughs> okay. short. So <laughs> well, almost. Yeah, we're we're bordering on Syracuse. Yeah. yeah. Good thing we didn't talk about every song. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Although I think we just about did. I think we missed what found a job and I love found a job. Yeah, found a job and then the ending. Like the take me to the river and cross hydrogen. No, well, no, we like mentioned take me to the river. Really I know, hit. and and I, yeah, the, those last two. Uh, for, yeah, the whole thing is, uh, oh my goodness, I'm I'm losing the thread already now it's, because it's it's yeah. just mesmerizing. Yeah, and I, I the one thing I did find interesting. I think they mentioned this in the commentary with like cross and painless is like the reason that they chose that one to close the film is not because it was particularly beloved. Mm-hmm. You know, or at least at the time, because I mean, now it's it does seem to be like kind of a, a classic Talking Heads track, and I love it. But but I guess like at the time, it was just sort of like this just this random album track. But they they basically figured that they needed a rave up, and that was like one of the few raves up rave ups that they had. Hmm. And so that's why it ends with Cross Eyed and Painless, even though it's it is an album track and not a single or anything. Yeah. Well, didn't they? Cl- oh no, no, they closed uh, in uh, on. Yeah, they use the great curve to close out on a uh, on name of this band. So, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, that's a good closer too, believe me. Oof. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, Cross-Eyed and Painless really is like a great choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it is because of Stop Making Sense that, that that's why that song is, you know, known and beloved now. Mm-hmm. It's, you know... And I mean, I love the the facts rap, the facts are simple and facts are uh, facts are simple and facts are facts are lazy and facts are late. Facts don't come with facts points of view. Facts don't do what I want. Them. Facts don't do what I want them to. Facts just twist the truth around. Facts are living turned inside out. Facts. Are, oh, what's the next? Facts are getting the best of them. Facts are nothing on the face of things. Still wait. Yeah. Never, never. I always like end up going into uh, like uh, no spill blood. I think sometimes when I'm thinking of that song from Oingo Boingo. <laughs> <laughs> Facts are better on walking on two legs. (laughs) I do love during Crosslight and Painless when the house lights finally do come up and there are audience shots and everybody is just sort of united and dancing in celebration of this amazing music. Yeah, I I think that's the way to do an audience shot is like, you know, maybe show them filling in as like the beginning if you want to. And then show them at the end going like, yeah, this was awesome. But other than that, fuck the audience. I don't care about them. <laughs> they call them the great unwashed for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting the, the audience shots. I mean, they, they do have like a, a couple short close-ups to people in the audience. And it's interesting just how diverse of a crowd it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of like, I mean, like with like craft work too. Is, I mean, like they, they were kind of known, especially at the time, for having a really diverse crowd of you had like, you know, the you know the synth nerds like us who are like yay craft work but you also had a lot of the the funk and soul crowd like you know really really dug craft work and then you have like you know like you know something like you know africa bombada sampling um uh uh tee for uh planet rock and i mean i mean that that shows that kind of crowd and i i think talking heads really had that kind of crowd too where you had like the you know the, the, the nerds like us, you know, and then you also had, you know, the, the funk and the soul people who were just like really like, this is really good music. And I mean, I, I know that like they always kind of would say, you know, almost like I think David Byrne said that he almost regretted the, you know, the Satan no disco line in Life During Wartime because it made a lot of people think that they hated disco, which was couldn't be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. They, they were uh, by the by the mid 80s. They were a dance band in Yes, and there's very much nothing so. wrong with that. No, like dance music when it's done well is like there's nothing better, honestly. Yeah. And the only bands that are, are come close, to, at least you know, thankfully there's I, Hot Chip and LCD Sound System are the only bands I can think of today that come close to what Talking Heads were doing in the mid '80s. Yeah, because I mean, even like you have bands like Ladytron, but like if you look at the crowds, it's all basically nerds like yeah. us, you know, standing still, going like. Oh yes, I do enjoy this synthesizer-based music with a drum machine and and disaffected vocals. It, it it speaks to me the same way that Wittgenstein does. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, the crowd at the Hot Chip show I went to, it was you know, white kids. It was white guys. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, very very specifically, mostly white guys, hipsters. There were some. Yeah, there were some yeah. girls I saw who were doing some who were doing some dancing, but it, well, the crowd was really moving, which is odd. But yeah, I, I don't yeah, think especially for hipsters. Yeah, but I don't think there's they don't quite have that crossover appeal anymore. Um, we could have a do we could do a whole show just on like audiences for music and whether you're ever going to have a band that has such 
and any kind of act that has like such huge crossover appeal in this in, the, in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, I think Outcast might have come closest, even though they've more or less seemed to have broken up by now. But like they they seem to get like I mean, especially with the, you know, I mean like Hey Ya, of course. But I mean, even with um, the speaker box Love Below, like they like they'd always had you know a lot of the the music nerd hipster crowd, you know. But they all, you know, they're also, you know, hugely popular among rap audiences. And, and I mean, and I think, too, there's probably a lot of people like, like me even who, you know, bought Speakerbox Love Below for the Love Below half, the Andre 3000 half, but ended up giving the big boy half Speakerbox a chance and being all like, this is really, like, phenomenally good as well. Like, I mean, like, if, if, if you're curious, like, I mean, like, like, I think Roses was the hit from Speakerbox, but Ghetto Music is an amazing fucking song, you know, and that's on the speaker box. I have, it's totally big boy and totally, you know, check that out. But I mean, I, I think that I, I kind of think that was kind of a fluke, you know, and which is not to say that, you know, outcast isn't good because they totally are. But I, I think that it's just that a lot of, you know, people outside that rap audience wouldn't normally give them the chance. You know, it, it's, uh, I guess we could do a whole show on this. So I, all I want, one thing I also have to say on the topic is that you know it's one of the advantages of the internet now is that you're not limited by what you can access, what you can listen to. But on the other hand, it makes having something that has a univ- any sort of vaguely universal appeal kind of hard because everyone has can find their niche. Exactly. Yeah. It's sort of like you you don't have you know like before you would just have like radio as a pipeline, say, and so if you had that, you you know you. You know, like, it's one where, like, you know, just about everybody likes the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And there are some people, you know, I, I mean, like, I, I'm a, Beatle, a Beatles nerd. I, I, I am, and I'm really into them. But I, I think that there's also a lot more of, like, casual Beatles fans, too. And I don't know if you really get that as much today where you where it seems like you're either kind of a casual fan of everything or you're really, really into specific bands, yeah, and we're we're where, definitely like, really we're any, definitely in the latter category where we're all very specifically very hardcore into certain bands, aren't we? Oh yeah, but I mean I think there's a lot of people, and I I guess this is always true too. But I mean like people who are into music as wallpaper, but a lot of times you don't get the nerds into the stuff that's wallpaper. Where like I mean like where you know like back then I would say that for a fair number of people like you know say the Beatles were wallpaper. And I mean, and I don't mean this as a diss on bands like the Beatles or any any of these, you know, kind of wallpaper bands that in the, the way that I'm using it. I mean, I bet like Talking Heads were wallpaper to people. Um, but it seems that like nowadays, you you very rarely have like say a hardcore like Katy Perry geek, or uh, um. I mean, I, I'm I'm about as close as you get to a Lady Gaga geek, and I'm even I'm not, you know collecting her all of her singles or anything like that i just i just enjoy her but i mean it's like you know you don't really get pop music geeks anymore i don't think or at least not in my experience you, like i've never seen come across anyone who is like really 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 into Katy perry and would you know collect all of her singles and you know like like i was talking about my friend aunt uh, a few shows ago who has like something like I think I, I finally asked him, I think he said he had 28 copies of the Pink album by the Mighty Giants. I don't think that there's a Katy Perry equivalent of Ant, you know? It, that's yeah, that's a whole other show right there. Oh, God, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 uh, 
I, I'm getting off on a tangent here. As I if we to... haven't already. That's the only reason why the show's gotten longer than the uh, than the movie now. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Wait, maybe we should. That's something for next week. You know, uh, collections and being like an obsessive fan. I, I don't know. Did we do that already? Um, a little bit, but like. I should uh, actually uh, I should uh, check with Ant and see if he'd be a good guest because he would be a great guest for the show if you if he would want to talk about it. I'm down with that. Yeah, because I mean he is hardcore collector geek and and I mean that in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and either that or I'll see if I can get Michael Pilmer on. But <laughs> oh, that would I don't I, be kind of I don't think I could. <laughs> Pilmer versus Ant. Wow. Oh, we don't even need to be here for that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, like, why don't you ping Pilmer, and, and we'll see. And I'll ping Ant and see. And if we get both of them cool, if we get one of them cool, if we get neither of them cool. Mm-hmm. That's what I can do. Um, and, Andrew, do you have any, like, hardcore collector nerds that you'd know that <laughs> we can make this a huge roundtable episode? <laughs> oh, God, I don't want uh, to do, don't don't do all the editing for that. <laughs> it's hard enough with just the three of you. Yeah. Or three of us. <laughs> you know, like five, like, five people on one track, that's going to be a impossible man yeah that one you, you might just end up you know like making notes that there's anything egregious and then just do the silence thing on there and call it good mm-hmm. if you know honestly <laughs> yeah. anyway uh, it, it'll be our live show equivalent yeah. something for the future anyway <laughs> uh, uh well this was this was fun I, and we were so worried that we wouldn't have anything to talk about <laughs> yeah wah, wah. Were, were either of you that way too or was it just me I was a little concerned, but obviously for no reason. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like I, I I had actually like put anything in my back pocket as like a saving thing if in case we only go for twenty minutes. But I was a little worried about that. Yeah. Like Rich, how were you, or did you know that this was going to happen? I was prepared for the possibility that it was going to fail mentally. At least I didn't know what I'd do if it did, but I I I had a feeling this would it wouldn't happen. So okay, so we're good, and like one hour thirty six something. Uh, do you want to wrap this up? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess we should. Yeah, yeah. I think, especially now that we have, I think talked about every song. Oh, we, I, we forgot to talk about Tape Me River, so I'll just say it's fucking awesome. How about that? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay, we've talked about every song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and Cities is really awesome too. There. <laughs> I wish I hadn't cut out a verse. Okay, now we're done. Where, okay. where can we find each other? I'm on Kitty Sneezes, which is, as promised last week, back up. Thank you very much to Rich. You're quite welcome. KittySneezes.com. Also, the Tumblr, KittySneezes.tumblr.com, where you can see... Uh, I, I posted a picture of a pissed cat just not too long ago, so go check that out. <laughs> and AndrewMarvin.net and at AndrewMarvin on Twitter. And you just relaunched uh, AndrewMarvin.net, so... I did, yeah. It's re uh, redesigned. It, it, it's 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 that time of the year, I guess, because Casey's is the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I don't have a. I, I'm not redesigning Sandspoint anytime soon. I just I don't have the time. But I also kind of like the design right now. Um, and that's mm-hmm. where you could find me. Sandspoint.com. Sandspoint on Twitter. Wonderbreathment.tumblr.com <laughs> is my Tumblr site, and that probably should get redesigned because I'm just using an off-the-shelf theme there. And we're at CrushOnRadio.com, which. Got a facelift a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we're crush on. Ra- so it is that season. Yeah, and we're crush on radio <laughs> on Twitter, and you can find us on the Facebook, and you can rate us in iTunes. And by the way, I, I checked our page. We still only have the one review, 
but we're we are at a solid five star rating. So Woo! it actually it actually has popped up rather than saying not enough ratings. So there you go. Good. Now write write us some nice positive reviews. Yes. Otherwise, we'll do another sh- uh, show where we just ramble about uh, one movie for an hour and a half. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait, is that a punishment or no? I, I, I. It, it depends on the movie, I guess. You know, we'll 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 ramble about like I don't know. Um, we'll 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 I know we'll we'll ramble at longer than Magnolia about Magnolia. You don't like Magnolia. So I, I fucking hate Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And it's three hours, so that's that that's punishment. Wow. Yeah. I was thinking maybe next time we do a, we all just talk about one movie. We can do Laurie Anderson's Home of the Brave. Yeah, that's going to go over well. <laughs> uh, I, I'd enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe next time we do a movie picks show, I'll uh, I'll make that my pick because we yeah. definitely got to go back to that. All right. Wow, this was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Are you still there, Andrew? I think we lost you. Like I haven't heard you say anything for like the last t- hour. No, I'm good. I think we're done. <laughs>